So we come to the 2019-2020 season here on the Owls AmeriCast. At the dawn of a new year, we're all optimists, and we are delighted to announce a season-long sponsorship by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow Live Match streaming service. Make sure you subscribe before August 5th to get the early bird discount at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. More on that later in our interview with the club's commercial director, Liam Dooley. Before that, we have a lot of preseason news to get through. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I have had two glasses of Pole 80 Pinot Noir from Willamette Valley in Oregon at dinner. So now I am uh, relaxing with a bit of water, ice cold Connecticut tap water, drunk out of my Harpoon IPA uh, beer mug. It is not actually beer, though. So to preview the 2019-2020 season and go over the news the last week or so, First off, in New York, we have our New York owl, Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeffrey. How are you doing? Uh, I have a Moscow mule on the go today, a bit of vodka, uh, some ginger beer, and uh, some lime. That'll do me. Very summary. Do you have the copper mug? <laughs> I don't. I have <laughs> some horrible um, glass that my wife got free at school. So, Functional and effective. Indeed. On the West Coast, we have our Cascadia Owl, Mike Laroon. Mike, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. I am so happy you're drinking an, an Oregon Pinot. That makes me happy. Um, and we, we start that path past we can. Uh, tonight, I am enjoying the Sacrilege Sour Cherry, which is from Reverend Nat's Hard Cider, which is exactly what it sounds like, a good uh, apple and sour cherry cider. Hopefully this week's episode will be a little bit sweeter than last week's. A new season is on the horizon. We do have some preseason news to cover. We'll give you the latest manager updates, even though we are not particularly ITK here on the Owls AmeriCast. There's still a few transfer rumors kicking about now that Wednesday are free and clear of their embargo. We'll chat a bit about the friendlies in Germany and back at Hillsborough against Espanyol. After that, we have a interview with Liam Dooley, the SWFC commercial director. And I follow color commentator John Pearson, who has some very interesting stories to tell about his uh, time at Wednesday. And then we'll wrap things up with a, wedding, with a Reading preview and a longer season preview. But we start with the latest news and breaking just today as we record on Wednesday night. Fernando Forestieri was found guilty by the English FA for the incident last year. In preseason, uh, it was a six-match ban and $25,000 fine that he has already announced on the club website that he will be appealing. So this is going to be uh, three white dudes talking about a potential incident of racism in English football. So it's going to be a little bit awkward. Um, I think we all agree sort of from the outset that... Uh, you know, we'll probably never know exactly what was said on the on the pitch there. Uh, what we do know is that you know racism uh, across European football, uh, both in England and on the continent, is a uh, is an issue that needs addressing, and no one wants anyone putting on the blue and white stripes that would do what Forestieri was accused of. 
but we are a year out now, and he was found not guilty in a literal court of law. So what exactly happened here, Patty? Well, it's baffling to me, honestly. Um, I understand the argument that um, you can be found not guilty in a court of law, but still charged by your um, employers, which essentially is happening sure. here, um, for breaking their rules, right? But I don't know what extra evidence that they're that the employers or the FA have had, have got over a forest area that the court of law couldn't get uh, to be able to charge him with racism. Um, so to me, it just it just stinks of um, I don't know some kind of conspiracy. You get uh, you look on Twitter, all the conspiracy theories out there. But I, no, I just don't when, see Wednesday nights on Twitter are not conspiratorial at all, Pat. <laughs> to me, I don't know how they've got the evidence to prove this, and I don't think they need evidence because they're the FA and whatever says goes. Um, I don't think his appeal is going to be successful. I'll be very happy if it is. Uh, it's just it just stinks. The whole situation stinks, and it's I feel bad for Forestieri too. Uh, he's already been proven innocent. It's been a year since it last happened. Um, someone else I saw on Twitter saying that it's uh, not by coincidence that they announced this the day after the punishment for racism goes up to six games. So it's like they waited until we can give him the maximum amount, which is even more bizarre. Um, so, yeah, I hope he wins his appeal. Um, I, I don't think he will. Um, and it just sucks. Also not great news for Wednesdayites. Chris Hutton has ruled himself out for possibly a second time from being Sheffield Wednesday manager. Um, and Lee Bowen will be in charge for the Reading game, Mike. You know, if it's going to be, again, I listened to your podcast last week. Um, not much we can say. It's too late to, to bring in a new manager and a new system, in my opinion. So I think Lee Bolum for, you know, the first few games. Let's see how it goes. Uh, disappointing about Chris Hewton. Um, he's really on my short list of folks out there that I would like to see come in. Other than that, I'm happy to, to see how Lee Bolum does. But, but again, I think uh, it's too close to the start of the season. Lee Bolum knows this crowd. So let's... Um, to skip behind him and go for it from there. It's a sentiment that I think's been shared across the Wednesday fan base, actually, now, isn't it? I, there's very few. Now, Hewton's turned us down officially, again, officially. Uh, again, looking across social media, which is never really a, the best, um, I suppose, barometer for how the, the temperate of the fan, but still, the majority of people now seem to be saying the same thing, Mike, saying, like, well, Hewton was by far the best option out there. Why are we going to risk it by bringing someone else in? Bully knows what Bruce was trying to achieve. It's the same drills. It's the same tactics, pretty much, as he was trying to hammer into the players through preseason. So why not give Bully the chance? And it's hard to argue against that, really. The the only thing that I can think of is is, is once we get into like three months, four months of the season, and maybe Bully's tactical experience uh, lets him down a little bit, then the then the fans can start turning the backs on him a little bit. So it's a tough one, I think. For, and you know, last you know, last January, December, and January circumstances being what they were, um, definitely outliers. But it was almost ideal to have this assistant coaching staff come in, kind of get warmed up, and then have the head coach step in after that. And I think that you almost want to repeat that. So the idea of rushing someone in, you know, for Reading, what I get Reading and Barnsley coming up, it's like there's no hurry here. I mean, there is a little bit because you would like to get someone in probably before the the close of the transfer window because the squad still needs does need some reshaping if not strictly speaking uh, strengthening um, if you are so interested in the recent bookie odds 
the current sort of hot up-and-coming favorite is the Wolves assistant manager, Luis Silva, which I guess makes sense. We've certainly had some success with a Portuguese manager before. Uh, Wolves certainly went up in style uh, two years ago and you know got into Europe their their first season in the Premier League, and they play an attractive style of football that I think probably fits our attacking heavy squad uh, at the moment. Um, I just, it seems a little derivative to me, but I also don't know if we're going to necessarily find a manager better than Silva, Patty. Oh, the, the thing with me is, is Hutton's uh, taken a look at the situation at Wednesday and said no. Yeah. And that, to me, is a red flag. And there was reports that Pulis also was approached, uh, uh, for talks at least, before maybe two or three weeks ago and he said no these are all flags to me that we're not in a good financial shape and maybe whoever does come in hasn't got any money to spend anyway the other flag being of course bruce leaving so so quickly um there's a, there's a number if we if we're looking at this as a, it's just hard facts it doesn't look like we're in great shape i know we're at the beginning of the season and we're trying to be optimistic but th- these are flags that uh, are raising alarm bells in my head um, of something that's not quite right. Uh, and to me, it, it feels like people that are assessing our financial situation, understanding we haven't got the money to compete in the championship, uh, at least where um, Chancery wants us to be, uh, and saying no thanks, which is, which is a real shame. The other recent rumor is that uh, Gary Rowett has potentially possibly interviewed or at least been approached for the job and might have more interest in it than Tony Pulis or Chris Hutton have expressed so far. Uh, you know, another experienced championship manager. It just... I worry that Wednesday... I don't worry that Wednesday will get off to a good start because that would be good, but that there's some sort of like necessitated short-term thinking here because... You know, they've been thrown into a into a difficult situation with them losing their manager and really the whole backroom staff as well, so close to the first game of the season. And now well you just sort of roll with it and you know, September first comes and Wednesday's doing all right, but they haven't really taken the steps in the transfer market because they haven't sort of had the organizational structure in place to sort of you know, identify what the best path forward is for the squad. And looking at the squad right now, we're still a couple of players short, I think, from being anywhere near the top six. Uh, you'd, you'd argue we still need that strong midfield enforcer. Uh, you'd argue we'd still need probably cover at centre-half and at probably both full-backs. Uh, we, de- we could definitely do with losing a couple of the forwards we have. Some, fund those some things. depth and sort of a defensive or holding midfield role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe some more depth in the wing as well. It's it's all a little uh, precarious if someone gets injured in in each of those positions we've mentioned, uh, and unless targets have been identified already and sent to Chancery to pursue by Bruce and his team, um, do we really have the confidence of Bully and his uh, black book 
to go out there and uh, bring in those players. You also assume, obviously, that the scouts that they're working for us too that have recommendations are working to bring them in too. So he's not just going to be bullen in that respect. But still, it's uh, how much cash we have um, to buy people seems to be an issue. Um, whether we can get over the line with no, uh, no big manager in charge, no kind of draw that Bruce has, it's, uh, it's going to be tough. Um, and that's why I think the benefit of getting someone in before the end of August uh, is to attract better caliber players than what Lee Bullen could do. And you'll get a situation too where, you know, Premier League teams will just be sorting their own sort of best 11 out and squad players out and you can get, you know, the season long loans and maybe the transfers for the 27 year olds that are looking for first team football and whatnot, but you need some actual like structure in place to not only identify those players, but convince that you're convince them that you're a better landing spot than, you know, Darby or Fulham or Middlesbrough because you're going to be competing you know, sort of at that end of the table with those clubs for those kind of players. Yeah, and look at the structures that they've got in place. They're um, ex-Premier League teams now. Fulham's spent $100 million over that the last uh, 18 months. Huddersfield been Premier League for two years. They've got that structure behind them. It's, we're, we're no longer um, this massive draw to, to, the, to, to this generation of players. Um, if you look at the, uh, I think there's something floating around today on Twitter about the value of our, of our squad compared to the rest of the squads in the league. We're like 15th uh, as far as how much uh, our players are worth and how much you spent on them. Uh, I think it was transfermarket.com that was, uh, or .us, sorry, that uh, has that data. And it's astounding the value of the teams of some of these um, championship teams nowadays. And we're not even top half in that respect. So uh, to have the ambitions of being top six, which Chen Siri obviously does, uh, it's, 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 it's on paper at least, it doesn't look like we're in that upper echelon of the uh, championship teams. I mean, I think some of that is due to, you know, the certainly the parachute payments and the increasing money in the Premier League with new TV deals since, you know, the last time Wednesday was on the cusp of going up. Some of it's sort of just, you know, general inflation. And some of it's been, Wednesday hasn't been able to work in that transfer market, even if they did have the money the last, you know, 12 to 16 months or so because of the varying degrees of soft to hard transfer embargoes they've been under. Uh, so I don't know if that sort of, I think it's a it's a good quality championship squad. It's just players that were, you know, purchased two to three years ago and the market's you know increasing so rapidly at this point that you know the value of players is you know to use one example i like i think wolf uh zaha is an excellent striker i don't know if i pay 75 million dollars for him (laughs) it was that plus two players as well at one point yeah i mean it's, it's like a different uh, you know, a different playing field of the championship, but that tr- that has trickle down effects. Like, you know, if you look at, you know, Fulham has certainly certainly spent a lot, but even just sort of like you know, Alexander Mitrovic is a Premier League level player that would probably, if he was moving, commands twenty million dollars at this point. 
for a more Easily. Yeah. for a more pertinent uh an annoying Wednesday example, look at how much Gary Medine got transferred for. <laughs> like that's just the inflation. Like if Wednesday wanted to go out and get a you know, top quality championship level center half, it might cost them ten, twelve million dollars at this point. You know, I'd say if you know, if Michael Hector were available for transfer, he might go for close to that. You know, let's just, talk about let's talk about transfers because <laughs> that that's the first one I want to talk about, Hector. Yeah, um, sure. the the latest is that uh Chelsea want I think it was two or three million for him. Yeah. And we've been trying to get him on loan again. Uh, and again, this is another the flag for me. He's like, if it's just two or three million to get Michael Hector, that is an absolute steal. You're saying that people that are overvalued stuff. That is not an overvalued yeah. no, player. No, no, that no. is a, worth a, worth every penny. Yeah, I, and apparently Fulham are ready to pay that, and we're we're still after a loan for him, which is just if that's true, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so we should be hopefully have enough money now for two or three million. If that's the only money we spend all season, I would snap their hands off. We won't get a better deal than that. Anyway, I think um, that was our big our big request at the end of last year was retain Westwood, sign Hector, and I you know I don't know if the I think the market was fine on on Westwood, but we yeah we got to make the move for Hector. There's no reason not to. But I mean this this makes you want to get into his head as to does something change when Steve Bruce leaves that he is rethinking this or not thinking this is destination because all signs were he was very happy in Sheffield last year. So. Don't know if it, if this changes things for him or not. There is still at least a rough and tumble, uh, rough and tumble ex center back in charge. So, if if not on the quite the <laughs> level of Steve Bruce as a player, I, I think uh, Hector lo- really did live it here. Um, obviously, it's less attractive with uh, no manager in charge. But if we were to match um, Fulham's offer. I'd hope, maybe I'm being naive again, like I was with the boosting initially. <laughs> I would hope they'd still come back to us because he's got some friends here. He's clearly still in touch with everybody. There's always some banter back and forth on Instagram and Twitter. So, I don't know. Hopefully, that means more than, uh, than moving to Fulham. Yeah, I, I just hope, yeah, I hope this is a late Chelsea, you know, waiting for the last second to, to deal it, but we'll see. Well, if Wednesday do need to scrounge up two or three million for a Michael Hector transfer, it will not be coming from Norwich City, apparently. <laughs> uh. yeah. yeah, I think Norwich is taking the piss I, a I'll bit. Pay, I'll pay a dollar for Jordan Rhodes. <laughs> Should I start a bidding war? Like an eBay auction. <laughs> Reserve not yet met. <laughs> Reserve still set at eight. Yeah. I mean, um, there's, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Norwich figured, especially when there was still, like, soft to slash medium slash hard transfer embargo that perhaps they could be a little cheeky and sell Wednesday on just getting the salary off the books. But as we saw with Real Madrid, Gareth Bale and China, you know, you want a little something for your trouble, even if you're getting uh, a proportionately large salary off the books. And Jordan Rhodes, Gareth Bale, Jordan yes. Rhodes, Gareth Bale. They sound the same. I mean, Rhodes has been in better form recently, so. Touche. <laughs> I don't know how good a golfer he is, though. Maybe we should ship him out to ship to China and get some money off the Chinese people. Do they know about Jordan Rhodes? Maybe there's a better PR thing for Jordan Rhodes in China. I mean, he looks like he can still 
bang him in for Wednesday. He's looked better in, in preseason when he seems to have had actual service. Definitely. And I think with the way that we're setting up to play with um, Harris on the left and Ojibayo on the right, uh, there's a little bit of pace there. There seems to be better delivery. Um, and we're going to play more to his strengths than we were when we first bought him. Uh, so, you know, I love Jordan Rhodes. It was one of my dream transfers when we got him. We have two uh, years of podcasts that suggest that. <laughs> to better. prove this. Apart from the six months that we're going to burn for all the Bruce adulation we gave. Uh, yeah, the uh, Jordan Rhodes um, adulation was uh, fierce when we first got him. Uh, so I would still love for him to be a success here. Uh, so if he doesn't go, I hope he's given a good chance. I don't know. I don't know how you could possibly play him with Fletcher. It would be too slow up front. And Fletcher, for me, is still our first-choice striker. So I, I don't think he's going to start. Um He's going to have to really kind of uh, push Fletcher out of that first starting position. I mean, Fletcher's uh, never been the, you know, he's, his fitness levels at Wednesday, you know, he's had some injury issues, and I know he and Rhodes are not exactly duplicative, duplicative skill sets, but they're both more traditional number nines than uh, some of the other striking options. So I think you'd maybe want to keep Rhodes in, in reserve if you can keep your system fairly similar if you know Fletcher does get hurt or he's at sort of the point in his career now where maybe you don't want him playing the midweek games and you know I've generally not been a huge fan of Wednesday playing sort of the the 4-2-3-1 but I feel like a lot of that was because you know it was George Boyd on the left wing and Jacob Butterfield in the midfield too and (laughs) you know we have the players that I think suit um, that formation a little bit better now so I think, I mean, if he wants to go because he wants absolute, you know, starting first team football, that's one thing. But yeah, it's it's probably going to actually have to be a transfer fee involved to make it worth Wednesday's while, despite the sheer volume of strikers they have. So let's talk about those friendlies. Uh, since we last chatted, two in Germany against Hosten Kiel and VFB Lubeck, and then the 2-2 draw with Espanyol RCD at Hillsborough this past weekend. Um, you know, some, you know, it's, it's preseason. Wednesday is still sort of, you know, cycling their way through different lineups, getting everybody sort of up to fitness, but there were some lovely goals and lovely attacking moves to set them up in these games, which is... Which is nice to see, even after all the, all the system changes and the upheaval, that you know the, the sort of the talent of the attacking players in this squad still shine through, Mike. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, we had limited coverage of these games here in the states. We can all go on to see some clips on YouTube and whatnot. The, um, I mean, I know we're going to talk about our season preview at the end, but I think that there's, you know, I mean, we're as much turmoil as shows going on. There's still this feeling of optimism. I think it's because. This is the healthiest the squad has been heading into a season, you know, in, in a few years. And just to see things like these really clean, crisp um, set plays where you have um, Bannon, you know, these Bannon to Fletcher and Fletcher's got this wonderful header that's not going anywhere but the goal. And, and same as you mentioned earlier, Jordan Rhodes getting a, a similar header. It's just um, it just seems like these are this is the right time. Uh, we feel good. And as you said, some, some nice set pieces. Um 
great offensive show in these early games. There's still a mistake at the back, so you know it's Wednesday, but it is it is so course, nice yes. to see. Uh, it's nice to see some nice attacking football, and hopefully that will continue on at Reading this weekend, Patty. Yeah, I, I've been really impressed with Harris uh, on the left. He's got a bag of trips uh, by the looks of it. He's uh, not scared to take people on. In a similar vein that Aaron's showed uh, from Newcastle at the end of last season, um, I feel like we've got a good bargain there, and the Cardi fans didn't want to see him leave either. So I'm really excited to see him play against uh, Reading, hopefully. Um, the other new uh, people that we've got starting too is a, a Julian Berner from uh, the German second division team we got. He looks a pretty nifty uh, signing too. He's got great feet. I, I haven't seen too much of the way he's uh, defended yet. Cause like I said, we've just got the highlights to go off here. Uh, but there's been quite a few little um, touches he's been part of in the highlights. So just the way he brings the ball out of defense and, and lays it off to somebody. He seems pretty um, uh, uh, good at that too, which is obviously Hector's strength uh, was doing that too. So I'm, I'm pretty interested if he's going to start against Reading as well. Um, Autobio, um he seems to have got more minutes than Ayofa has at that right side. So um, maybe we move Ayofa in the centre, I'm not sure. For me, that defence is enough to get us going throughout the, the beginning of the season. I, I worry if we get a few injured centre-half position. Uh, no one's seen a great deal of Van Aken yet unless they're playing some very poor sides. So I'm still not entirely sure if he's any good or not. Um, but I think for me, it all looks promising from pre-season. There's, there's nothing too much to worry about. Kieran Lee's got minutes. He's looked uh, healthy. Bannon's putting some cracking balls. And you see the goal that he uh, set up for Fletcher, I think it was against Espanyol on Sunday. It was a wonderful cross that Fletcher headed down the back post. So it's good to see that, that that relationship's still clicking there. For me, like I say, the way we've played pre-season, there's optimism there. Uh, and I know we were quite negative at the beginning of this podcast about just uh, our chances with no manager and no money and everything else that, that everyone's throwing at us. But this squad has known each other uh, for a while now. Uh, and if we can keep everyone fit with the new additions, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be uh, in the top six to ten. Uh, well, hold on there, Patty. We have some season predictions coming later in the show. But first, we'll take a break, and then we'll be joined by John Pearson and Liam Dooley to talk more about the upcoming Sheffield Wednesday season. It's a preseason show, and we have a preseason guest and guests in this case, to help us preview the 2019-2020 Sheffield Wednesday season. And it's a man that will be doing the commentary on it for iFollow, John Pearson. We're also joined by the commercial director for Sheffield Wednesday, Liam Dooley. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having us on. Thank you very much. John, usually when we have... uh, a guest on, whether it's a, an American Wednesday fan or someone with a connection to the club, the first question we always ask is, how did you become a Wednesdayite? Okay, well, I was a Sheffield Wednesday supporter since the day I was born, really. All my family were Sheffield Wednesday supporters. I was born 200 yards away from the ground on a Rockley Road, and uh, one of my favourite players of the time was Tommy Craig, and he lived about 
or he, he, he rented or um, he, he, I don't think it was his house, but he, he lived about six doors down from me. Uh, I was a complete in, in awe of him every time I saw him on the street. I, I, I didn't speak to him, but uh, he was like a god to me at that age. That's pretty cool. And it was like living down the street from you. You've got your heroes down there. It's, it's, it's not really uh, something that happens that much anymore with the, with the wealth in the <laughs> no. game. <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, uh, and the school I went to, I went to Marcliffe School. And uh, if you stood on the railings, you could look down onto the training ground and see the players training in the morning. You know, I was, uh, from being, I mean, from being, my first early memories were that I didn't want to be a football player. I wanted to be a Sheffield Wednesday football player. Uh, and that is all I, I, I spent my all my childhood, you know, working and working. And, and that's all I ever did. Um, I, I didn't I didn't like school. I was OK at school, uh, passed my exams and stuff like that. But, um, you know, when when it came to, you know, the you go and see the, uh, the person who was asking you about what job do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a footballer, Sheffield Wednesday footballer. Yeah, but what what are you going to do if you don't do that? No, that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> well, luckily for you, it worked out, mate. So, <laughs> how, uh, how old were you when you signed for Wednesday? Uh, it was pretty late, to be fair. I mean, uh, my birthday was September the 1st, and it was great because uh, every year I got a season ticket. It was an easy birthday present for my parents. I, I, uh, I always go used to go with my dad. And so I got a season ticket on um, the 1st of September every year. And also I was in the wrong year at school. Um, I was in the year above when I should have been in the year below. I should have been the oldest in the year below. And I left school at 15 and joined, I think I left on the Friday and joined Wednesday on the Monday. And uh, it was a dream come true. I mean, I got offered apprenticeship forms. John Harris, uh, I think he rang my school up. My school told me and I was overjoyed. Why? Frightening. <laughs> I didn't go in the changing rooms. I came down to the ground, uh, went in pre-season, and uh, I was thinking, oh, I didn't go through that. I didn't go through that door. All the all players will be there. You know, it, it was such a dream come true that uh, I was just in awe of everything. And who were the big players in that uh, that era that you looked up to that you joined uh, the club at that time? Um, well, the captain was Mick Pickering. Uh, who, who's a great friend of mine now, um, Roger Wilde, it was John Lowe, and uh, as, as I joined, Terry Curran was signed, Andy McCulloch was there, I loved Andy McCulloch, what a fantastic player he was, um, Bob Boulder, uh, fantastic blow, I mean, yeah, he could go through, Hugh Dowd, Ray Blackall, Dennis Lehman, Brian Ormsby, you know, <laughs> it was just after... Uh, I mean, I went to the Arsenal games as a supporter, and then two months later... I'm in the dressing room with those players. Wow. It was a little, like I say, it was a little bit frightening. <laughs> so how long did it take you to break into the team and, and start uh, scoring the goals? A year. Uh, mm. I mean, I joined, like I say, I was 15 when I joined. So that made me 16 in the September. And the following September, I was 17. And two weeks later, I made my debut and it was a home to Bristol City. I was lucky enough to score a goal, but... I mean, the big uh, story behind that was, I mean, there was no mobile phones or anything in those days. And uh, my mum and dad had gone on holiday. They were in, uh, they were in Mallorca. So my dad's followed me around, going to every game as a kid, and, like watching me play for my school, watching me play for different years, because I could play for different years. Uh, and then going, taking me out on a Sunday and being a massive Wednesday fan. 
and uh, he missed my debut and he didn't find out until the Sunday. He's he's gone to get the he's run to the shops to get you know <laughs> the Sunday paper, the News of the World, or whatever it was, and. He's picked the paper up and then all of a sudden it's like Pearson scores on debut. So he didn't have an auto type. So he ran back to the he's missed it. Um, oh, but luckily he, I played in I played the following Saturday and we went home to QPR and I scored the winning goal in that one as well. So Not uh, bad start, where did it all go wrong? I thought it, I thought it, oh, this is easy. I'll just score a goal every game. It's easy. So I was lucky at uh, happened to score in my first four games and then got dropped. So we found that uh, <laughs> but, Wednesday yeah. fans don't like to give up their vacations. We found out in the playoff final a few years ago. They'd already <laughs> scheduled them, so they were going to be in New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's a few of those. There wasn't there. Yeah, they were they were pretty um, good uh, being in New York, which is a weird kind of feeling to have when you've <laughs> timed it with a playoff final. <laughs> yes, crikey. <laughs> So not, not quite a not quite a one on one ratio for your career with the Owls, but you did score twenty four goals in one hundred and five appearances. Uh, do you have any favourites? Uh, that's difficult because obviously to score on your debut. I mean, oh, a seventeen year old and um, I didn't know how to celebrate. You know, not not practiced anything. <laughs> you just wheel away and you put your arm up in the air and then uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, scoring for Sheffield Wednesday is always what I wanted to do. I mean, yeah, I mean, what was it, 24 in just over, was it 100 or something like that? But to be fair, Sheffield Wednesday, I don't think I was ever a regular. I mean, Andy McCulloch was obviously a superb player. And and then when uh, we got into the first division, you know, um, Howard signed Lee Chapman. So I was never a regular and a lot of those appearances were as sub. I thought I would say that half of them, I think I played 64 full games. So, Maybe forty odd, forty five were, you know, coming on a sub, and a lot of times you just get on for a minute, two minutes. Um, there's not, there weren't as many tactical substitutions because there was only one sub, and you never knew until late on in the game whether everybody was going to get through. So, um, you know, the scoring record at Wednesday wasn't too bad. Um, yeah. But uh, favourites, yeah, obviously my debut goal. That's got to be one of them. Um, I think uh, I scored. I think I scored in the FA Cup. I, I scored in all my debuts. It's so amazing. Really, <laughs> really looking. No, Wednesday. So I scored on my home debut, my away debut, the FA Cup debut, and my League Cup debut. So if we'd had another hundred competitions, I, I was, I'm sure there'd be another hundred. So yeah, it, it was fantastic. I was just uh, so happy to be here. I mean, I was absolutely gutted when I left, but. Uh, Times moved on, and um, they got him. They brought in better players. Yeah, well, he went on to uh, play for Charlton, uh, Barnsley, Leeds, a whole host of uh, clubs, really. Yeah, yeah. But we talk about goals, and I think uh, from a Wednesdayite's point of view, you're not going to get much better than scoring a hat trick against the Blades, are you? <laughs> well, <laughs> because we were in different divisions. Uh, when I was at Wednesday, I never played against Sheffield United while I played for Sheffield Wednesday, but uh, I was fortunate enough to play. Uh, I played for Charlton and we always did well. And we and obviously scoring a hat-trick against Leeds and it was at Ellen Road. and You know, it was a dream come true. I mean, if I, if you're going to pick to score a hat-trick, I mean, who, who would you pick out of all <laughs> the teams? You'd pick one team. There's only one team that you you desperately want to get that. 
And then also, after we got promotion to uh, the first division, I came on a sub. It was a Sunday morning. Again, it was for Leeds. And uh, Gary McAllister stuck one up at the four posts, and I've got to it and uh, scored the first goal in a 2-0 win. And, and that was equally uh, as satisfying. I just remember getting interviewed up on Yorkshire television or whatever it was afterwards, and they're going, oh, well, how are you going to celebrate? I said, I'm going to Parker tell me all my Wednesday mates. That's what I'm <laughs> <laughs> I suppose uh, playing for Leeds, uh, obviously being a Wednesday fan, it definitely helps you can score a few goals against the Piggies. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I hope I'm forgiven now. <laughs> Definitely so, John. Um, so I wanted to be kind of remiss of me to have you on the uh, show and not talk about the two managers that you worked under at Wednesday because there's two of the most recognisable names in our history. So Jack Charlton were there when you first joined, if I'm correct, uh, and uh, Howard Wilkinson uh, was there uh, towards the end of the, your term. As a young lad, uh, as a big Sheffield Wednesday fan, how much, how how cool was that to work under those two big personalities? Well. I mean, I'll, I've got a couple of stories about that, but I mean, Jack, what a fantastic bloke he was. He was superb. I remember the Brighton game in the semi-final. Uh, and as it worked out, I I, oh, I should have been sub that day, but uh, Mickey Lyons was carrying a knock and Peter Shirtliff ended up being sub. And was, like I said, there was only one substitute, uh, but we were still there. And uh, Jack Shaw, World Cup winner, won all these trophies at Leeds United. And uh, we came in afterwards, and uh, he was absolutely distraught. And I, I was looking at him, thinking, "You're a World Cup winner, and you know we've just lost him." And you know, and he's, you know, you're thinking he's a he's a Leeds man rather than a, a Sheffield Wednesday. And he, I, it just struck me, you know, what a fantastic bloke he was. That he, he showed that emotion afterwards. Um, like I say, he was absolutely gutted. He was gutted for the players. He was gutted for the supporters. And I thought, well, that just shows the, the, the true character of this man, you know, that in spite of all, everything that he's won, and it, it was massive for us, you know, we were in the second division in Brighton, we were in the, the first, and it was a massive game for us, but I, I was thinking, I, I, it's probably not his, the biggest game of, of his life, and he's just shown, you know, how much he cares for this club and, uh, and what he thinks about everything, and that's always stuck in my memory of uh, his reaction you know, after that, after that game, and then the second one with Howard Wilkinson. <laughs> God, oh, me and Mel Sterling were picked for the under twenty one squads for the England under twenty one squads, and uh, and Jack didn't want us to go. I mean, I missed out. I never played for the under twenty ones, and I got picked about four or five times, and he never let me go. Um, and I missed out on mini World Cups for the under eighteens and stuff like that, but. Um, he didn't really want anybody to go. And anyway, Howard Wilkinson had said, I want you to come even if you're injured. And Jack John pulled me and Mel and said, you two are injured. You don't train. You tell him that you've got an injury and you don't train. So I've never met Howard Wilkinson before. I go, so we go there, you know, got a, I've got a bit of an hamstring out. I don't think I'm going to be able to train. Just blank, mate. Walked away. Mel's the same. Me and Mel looking at each other for three days. Uh, while we were at the soccer camp and he never spoke to us so we're away on uh, we, we, we went to Benidorm a few of the lads, Paul Shirley uh, Ticker Taylor, a couple of mates with about four or five of us and we're on the beach uh, picked the paper up next Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday manager, Howard Wilkinson oh, thank God yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hates me <laughs> I just told him I was injured <laughs> Anyway, I get, I get home from flipping Benidorm 
and uh, my mother says, um, well, there's been a phone call for you. Howard Wilkinson wants you to go down to the ground as soon as you get home. And I'm thinking, oh, Christ, oh, <laughs> oh dear. So anyway, I've... Uh, <laughs> I've gone down, saw one of the ladies. She went, oh, yeah, I was in his office. Just go and uh, knock on his door. So I've gone to his door, and I've just knocked really gently, like like that. So he's opened the door, and he went, are you my centre forward? <laughs> so I went, uh, and he went, oh, he said, go and get effing changed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so to be fair, I, well, I got changed, and he took me on this uh, he took me training, just it was just me and him. I've just come back from Benidorm. I'm like about two two weeks away. Top shape then, top shape. Not top shape. <laughs> and uh, and uh, after we'd finished, Steve Ellis had come down to take some photographs. Well, as Steve was taking the photograph, I was on my hands and knees spewing up all over the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so he was, uh, but he had me in every day for two weeks before everybody else came in, and you know and that was brilliant. You know, uh, I was never scared of hard work and training and, and stuff like that. And I, I had to be at the peak of my fitness to, you know, to fit into that team. <laughs> and so I was really grateful for him. And uh, he, and he's he's been a great friend ever since. I, he, he was probably the best manager I played for. He, he taught me how to be a professional footballer. Uh, did I always adhere to those rules? Perhaps not. But I knew those rules. So if I, if, I, if I, any if there was any failure, that was down to myself. He, he taught me all about... Uh, I mean, the week was really, really hard with Howard Wilkinson. And the match days were a lot easier. We steamrolled teams and we knew we were going to do that. And nobody wanted to play us. And, uh, and I'm thinking, well, you know, we're getting all this criticism for being long ball or being too fit or work, working on free kicks. And I just thought, so what? We're not stopping anybody else from working hard. We're not stopping anybody else from having, uh, working on free kicks. Uh, and I thought it was brilliant. You know, it made playing matches so much easier. That's fantastic. So is there any uh, photographic evidence of that uh, spewing up on your knees uh, doing the rounds, John? <laughs> Have you, uh, I know Steve Ellis took some pictures of me doing uh, sit-ups and all that. And I think it was just after. And, and I think he's... <laughs> I mean, I, I travelled to the games with Steve. He's, he's a massive friend of mine. He's always a great lad. And uh, I probably asked him to uh, delete or get rid of any evidence. But uh, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. Fortunately, it was before Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, lucky. Definitely. So uh, all of our overseas owls, American or otherwise, will recognize your voice from... Uh, the I follow commentary, but I know you do a lot for the club outside of that. Can you tell us a bit more about your ambassador role? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not, not so much an ambassador role. I mean, uh, my full time job is working for the community program. That's sort of my nine to five job, and I do events. So anything that raises money for the community program, um, because we are we have to generate our own cash. Um, so I do golf days, I do dinners. And, and stuff like that. But uh, then on a match day, um, I sort of get ex-players to come back. Um, if we're at home, then I host uh, a few of the uh, rooms. We do we do doulas, 1867 sponsors, and then up on the second floor, uh, up on the third floor, sorry, um, interviewing the ex-player and stuff like that, and then uh, do the commentary, maybe do the present the man of the match award afterwards. Uh, obviously, away days are different. 
we set off for, for Reading on Saturday. We'll probably set off about half past eight. Steve has to be there to get pictures of the team getting off the bus. So we, will, we always like to get there early. It's a really long day, stuff like that. I mean, first two away are Reading and Millwall. Hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad that Millwall's a Saturday and not Tuesday night. <laughs> so, <laughs> for once. Uh, so we get two of the longer trips out of the way, early doors. But uh, we, we have great fun. I mean, God, I've got the best job in the world. Yeah, it's not bad at all, is it? You certainly sound like you're enjoying it on the mic, uh, John. Uh, which, you've got a reputation of being uh, excitable, let's say, shall we? Uh, is there any time that's got you in trouble? You mentioned like Millwall's a bit of a dicey area to go and uh, start shouting when you score goals. Uh, any problems with the way fans for your um, effusiveness? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop. It's <laughs> happened a few times, and Millwall was one of them. I can't... Uh, I I don't know if you can remember when Lee Bullen was playing. And I think, uh, I'm not sure if we'd had somebody sent off or there was an incident. Um, and Millwall, I think they had a goal disallowed and they were all celebrating. They'd all run away celebrating. Uh, I was there for this. I was, in the, I was in the away end. Right, so Lee Bullen, I think, put the ball down and booted it to Frankie Simek and he's ran the length of the pitch, crossed it. And I can't remember who scored it, but it was a, it was a very important game, wasn't it? I think uh, it was, might have been a relegation sort of battle or something. And well, they was in goal as well. We yeah, they were in goal, weren't they? <laughs> so they're all celebrating, uh, them scoring, referees disallowed it. We've gone down the other end, banged one in, and I'm up, yeah, I'm giving it that, yeah, punching the air and all that. And uh, then I look round and I've got, oh dear, I've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, the Millwolf supporters, it wasn't just five or ten they were coming up in their droves oh, but shit. unfortunately they were that they couldn't get to me there was a it was in the new ground and i was sat right on the side of the press box but there was a there was a stairway in front and they were all coming up there i'm waiting for you outside there was a few swear words included by the way and you know, I, thought, I, I had to wait for over an hour after the game before I dare like step out. I thought I'm a bit uh, might be a little bit tougher than me these dot dot lads. <laughs> so, yeah. That was one of the goals that. Yeah, that was one yeah. of the moments in my Wednesday fan history that'll stick in my memory for a long time. Because, like you said, when they scored their goal, all the fans uh, celebrated and the the team celebrated for about about two or three minutes on the pitch. Yeah. The fan, fans are all giving it like the cutthroat and like calling them wankers and stuff and the, and the fans. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'd seen that it's been disallowed. <laughs> We're going up the other end of the pitch. <laughs> like pointing to the fans going, no, look at the pitch. You're not, you're not, you're not scored. Oh yeah, that was, that was, no, it was brilliant. It's like, I might be a bit terrified. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing uh, that's, uh, that's maybe a game that you didn't, wish you were in the stands for but is there a particularly exciting game or, or moment in your commentary tenure that you wish you could have been in the Wednesday end for yeah I think when we played at, at Cardiff when we beat Hartlepool you know and I uh, I thought then oh, well, I just want to I just want to watch the game you know, I just want to uh, and I did that uh, two years ago when we played Hull you know I, I was due to do Radio Sheffield and I said I'm, I'm not doing it I don't want to do it but then I got caught up in a worse uh, conundrum because uh, Spencer Taylor, who was in charge of the the, uh, the pro the community program, he said, "I've got some tickets to go in the Royal Box." <laughs> oh God! I thought oh, this is never. I'm never going to get the opportunity to do to do that again. So I, th I thought right, and, and I did that. 
and um, and it was nice. It was it was okay. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't as, as special as I thought it was going to be. I, I, I presume that when England play, yeah, it's all you know singing and dancing. But um, it was a good experience. But again, I, I just wanted to I wanted to be in. I was about a yard away from Wednesday supporters, and I wanted to climb over and just join in and be being with the Wednesday supporters. But I mean, you get you get involved with the singing, but there's. Uh, on that day, there wasn't really that much to think about. But <laughs> the Wednesday supporters that day, and, and I mean, I know Steve Bruce mentioned it, it the, the, but you know, it, it made well, I was close to tears. I mean, it was so so sad for such a fantastic uh, fan base to not leave that ground being promoted. And uh, yeah, I was a bit upset after that game. Yeah, I think we all were, and I, I had a similar experience to you at Wembley, uh, John, too, because I had a, I was in this kind of uh, club Wembley seats, uh, and I was actually on the halfway line, so I was like half in the whole side and half in the Wednesday side, mm-hmm. so I could yeah. see all the I could see all the fun being had in the Wednesday end, and I'm like, oh god, I should have got a, like a cheap seat in Rose Ed rather than one we got here instead. So yeah, I think that was a bit of a regret of mine in, in, for that for that final too. But it was amazing, like you say, to see a, a, the uh, Wednesday fans in full voice for oh. pretty much ninety minutes nonstop. Yeah, I mean, they never stopped. And then, you know, the end of games, usually, you know, half the stadium's empty. I mean, there's a quarter of the stadium already empty because the whole supporters have decided not to go. But, you know, at the end, all the Wednesday supporters were still there. And it made you choke because they were, they were, that was, if that's an example, that's how football support should be. It was absolutely superb. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here uh, coming at this point, but. One one of the things of being becoming a Wednesday fan was being an Ibiza at my my best friend Stag do and being his best man. And that morning of the morning of the final, flying back for the game, attending it, being absolutely devastated, and then knowing that I've got to get back to the airport to get back to Ibiza again that night. <laughs> In a weird way, even though we lost, was still one of the best days that I've ever had. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, we were in London. There's a few of us came from New York, obviously, uh, to uh, watch the game. And uh, the weekend we had in London was fantastic. Just spending it with Wednesday fans, having a few beers, um, just it was it was fantastic. It was, it was a good day out. Just that ninety minutes in the middle kind of uh, put a little bit of damper on things. <laughs> anyway, so on to uh, let's move away from sad times or happy times and uh, on to the season ahead. Uh, uh, John and Liam, uh, what are your um, what are your hopes for this season? Do you think? Uh, I know we've had a bit of a, a tumultuous uh, ride up to it. Uh, do you think you still think confident with the players and the staff we've got in at the moment? Yeah, I think um, I'm always optimistic. I think we, I definitely, I mean, last year, even when we were struggling, you know, to bring back uh, Kieran Westwood and, uh, well, Barry Ballin was uh, Forestieri and Hutchinson and, and all these kinds of players, you know, who I think are top championship players at least. And so I think we we have a good squad. There is no doubt about that, you know. And there are some. I think there are some real strong characters who, um, who, who don't want to be at the wrong end of the table. Who will fight and who will whoever's in charge that will respect the fight. Well, I think they want to do it. You know, the pride for themselves. You can tell. You can tell by looking at them how much they want it. I, I can see it. You know, Barry Bannon is a top player, and he wants. To do, he wants to get out of this division. He wants to get out of it. You can tell, but when he's playing and um, the way he demands the ball and always wants it, uh, and I really think that we have a, a, a great squad. So 
we'll have to wait and see and, and see who's given the job eventually. But um, hopefully if we get off to a, a decent start on Saturday at Reading. Who knows? Uh, I mean, I fancy us to at least finish in the top six. But as I said, I'm an eternal optimist. But, um, you know, if for the manager coming in, like, like Barry Bannon said himself, he's got a good squad. Just probably needs to tweak it here and there. We might be top heavy in this position and, you know, need players in another position. Um, but um, I do believe in this squad. And uh, Lee Bowen will be in the in the dugout for the Reading game and maybe a, a few subsequent ones as Wednesday sort out their managerial situation. Now, as you've mentioned, you've covered Lee Bowen as both a, both a player and a, and a staff member at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, do you think he can keep sort of the ship moving ahead in this first month? Because the schedule's, you know, you never know what the championship. Every game can go. It's always a wild division. But do you think he can... That, uh, that's the thing. Yeah. The, the beauty of this, the championship, is that every team can beat other teams. I mean, you know, if you go back to last year, the biggest example is Leeds United at home against Wigan. 1-0 up, scored a penalty. And then uh, Wigan are down to 10 men. <laughs> Wigan win 3-1. I mean, if you ask every Leeds United supporter, do they like Bielsa? Yeah, they love him, but they, they blew it, didn't they, at the end of last year? So that's just an example of the championship and what can happen in any any given game. You know, if we go to Reading and win 5-0, um, you know, does that say anything? Or if we go to Reading and we lose 5-0, does that say anything? What does that say? So um, Lee Bullen has shown last year when he took over that he's more than capable of doing that. So um, everybody wants Lee Bullen to do well, don't they? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think um, he'll have the support of the fan base. Uh, he's like I say, he plays blue and white. So um, I think I think for as long as he's got that role, um, he'll have the Wednesday fans behind him, um, and I think he'll do a great job because Reading, at the very least. Cool. All right. Um, Liam, we haven't spoke too much so far, so let's bring you into this conversation, I, uh... shall we? <laughs> Hiya, mate. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, uh, first of all, let's ask you the same question I ask everybody else. How did you become a Wednesday fan? Um, I suppose it's in my blood, really. I've been a mad Wednesdayite since I was born. Sheffield Wednesday bedroom. All my fans were Wednesday fans, even though I'm actually from Rotherham. Um, but growing up with the likes of Chris Royal, David Hurst, Carboni, Di Canio, there wasn't really much option for me. I fell in love at first sight. Um, always at the game from being a young lad with my dad. And then season tickets with my mates growing up. And then living overseas, I was part of Dubai Owls. And then, as you know yourself, part of New York Owls as well. So, uh, yeah, now to be back and working for the Cubs, a dream come true, really. Definitely. So, you're the new commercial director at Wednesday. Um, started in uh, May, I believe, right? So, tell us a bit about your role and some of your priorities. Obviously, the, the term commercial director, there's a lot of focus on finances at the moment with the club and stuff. So, I think the, the Wednesday fans will be interested to see what your priorities are and what your role is and how you're going to uh, improve the club going forward. Yeah, well, for, like you say, I've been here sort of four months and really enjoying it, first of all. Um, there's definitely lots of challenges in the football world. Um, one week you could be looking at sponsorship. The next week you're looking at LED boards and then someone comes along and you, you, next thing you're doing a project on lining the car park at the training ground. It is very much a, um, an exciting and different job and certainly two days never the same. Um, my role itself is looking looking at bringing in more commercial revenue to the club. 
and really to open up as many revenue streams as possible. So where where we historically we only have certain certain ways. Our way of looking at it is right. Well, we've got lots of space here. How can we use that to generate more income for the club? Um, this is potentially why we're speaking to you as overseas fans. Is something that we've not really done before, and the world of IFO is another stream that we can uh, use to maximise that. So obviously the main way that uh, Wednesdayites like myself in the States and elsewhere uh, interact with the team is, is through iFollow. And really since its introduction, we've gotten, we have replays, we have a score bug now, we have uh, John and uh, Rob's commentary synced up with the games. Um, but you're still working with the EFL to improve the service further. Can you uh, maybe give us a little sneak preview of what uh, overseas fans have to look forward to this season? Yeah, well, as I just alluded to there, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time working overseas and sort of been on the journey with iFOMO from it being one camera, no no commentary to um, the commentary syncing up, then uh, watch, watching it really evolve. Um, and I suppose, firstly, on behalf of the club um, and the BFL, I probably just want to say thank you to our existing iFOMO fans um, for sticking by us and for the support throughout that. We, we do really appreciate that. Um Another thing to sort of really drum home here is that the club do receive a large percentage back of the subscriptions. Um, so when you're following and thinking, well, I'm not at the games, how can I contribute to the club? Well, by purchasing a, a season pass, that does bring in revenue for the club. We take a large percentage of that. Um, we also know that there's a, there's a massive uh, support base out there. So how do we get into other people that we know? How do we get in touch with the supporters groups like yourself to, uh, to really drive that forward? Um, this this season's a little bit different to last season, and the, the journey continues really. Um, you may have noticed that the Espanol friendly that we had at the weekend that was streamed on YouTube, but it was us sampling the four camera coverage that we're going to be using this season. Now that four camera coverage is not just going to be available at Hillsborough; it's something that's going to be installed across all Championship games, so that when when you're watching that experience, you're getting a lot better uh, value for money really, and, and sort of a satellite quality. Uh, feed but through an iFollow service also you, you mentioned the commentary I mean John sat beside me does a fantastic job but what we do different to a lot of clubs at Wednesdays we have a dedicated team so it's just focusing on our game so we're not relying on local radio streams that can jump around for adverts or jump around for other grounds it's dedicated to the game that's in front of you and as you as you mentioned Jeff that the fact that that's synced up is really um, really giving a better service as we move forward this year, the first year, we're going to have replays on there as well. So I'd urge anybody, really, if you want to have a quick look on the Sheffield Wednesday YouTube channel, you can have a quick look back at the Espanol game that we did at the weekend. Although that doesn't have the commentary on there because we were doing it as a trial, you can just flick through and see the difference in quality that this this does give to the service. Um, we actually got 69,000 views on that so far. And during the game, we had up to 14,500 people viewing the stream at any one time. So we're really pleased with how that went. And it also gave us that um, sort of determination to turn through, turn over some of those fourteen thousand. A lot of those will be overseas, and how do we, how do we get those people on board as as iFollow fans for every game of the season? Really, I can say uh, one thing I don't miss is the missing Wednesday goals as we get an update from Doncaster versus Shrewsbury, which <laughs> seemed to happen uh, occasionally on those away games on Wednesday Flair back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that. And, and that's it. That's why we, we do invest in, in the likes of that, because we want to give the fan the best experience. Um, as a club, 
we're, we're working really closely with the EFL to develop iFollow and try and be one of the people at the forefront of it. So as we get input from fans, we're always willing to take that back to the EFL and see how best we can um, we can improve that experience going forward. I mean, an example is, is obviously we're speaking now, we, we know that the early bird pass um, expires this weekend. So people can renew the memberships before uh, oh, new members and renewals up until Sunday this week you can get that pass for the season for £110. So we put all that extra value in there. But actually, if the price, if the renewals or the subscriptions are made b- before the end of this weekend, you also get the Reading game included in that. But also, you get the enhanced package for the same price as what you were getting last year. I mean, I'm a big uh, fan of Eiffel. I think when I first moved to America, uh, the biggest problem we had, uh, as well as starting up New York Hours, was uh, the many different uh broadcasters that were that had efl championship rights and uh we had like maybe one a month if, if we were lucky at first um and then when i was announced it was just basically all all our dreams come true to watch every single wednesday game i didn't have that in england so uh for me it's uh, it's getting better every year uh, and i'm looking forward to the this next season and having the extra cameras and and everything else that's uh that's liam mentioned so so, uh, looking forward to working with you uh, too, Liam, on um, feeding back any kind of uh, questions and stuff that people have about it. Uh, is there any way that's best for them to get in touch if there's some feedback uh, or questions about the service? Uh, who's the best to get in touch with? Is it uh, the EFL directly or is it through the club? Yeah, if, if, if you come back through, I mean, if, if you want to go through commercial at swfc.co.uk, that will come to our team. We'll be able to look at any questions that you've got. I know during the games... Uh, John reads out quite a lot of tweets and people from around the world that are listening to the game. If there's anything direct, we can always then have pick them up quickly. Uh, but if there's any actual strategical things that people think would work in the future, by all means, we're there to listen to um, the opinions of fans and hopefully, like I say, improve the service. Awesome. So I imagine one thing that might help... Uh you as, as commercial director for raising money for the club is a uh, promotion to the Premier League. So do you have, are you hopeful for that potentially happening this season? Well, like, like John, um, despite being a Wednesday fan for 32 <laughs> years, I do remain optimistic. Uh, I know it's not always the case, but um, I suppose take every game as it comes. I'm really excited for the start of the season. Um, I, think we've, I think we've got a good chance at Reading. It's nice to see that we've got the majority of the squad are all fit. So, on paper, we've got a fantastic team, and and look forward to look forward to seeing what happens. Really, and um, we're giving the club up in the background, so that every day we're trying to work more towards that Premier League. Um, and then it's over to the over to the points squad, really, that we don't have anything to do with to make sure we um, we can work hand in hand, hopefully, towards that shared goal of the Premier League. I do feel like every, despite our cynical nature, every Wednesday fan is optimistic on the dawn of the new season, probably right until the first Reading goal goes in. <laughs> but hopefully that <laughs> won't happen. That's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it'll be a nice, comfortable 3-0 victory, and, and we'll be off on the, on the promotion chase. Well, you know what it's like. If, if any Wednesday fan gets two, two or three uh, victories in a row, we're going to the playoffs. If we get two or three defeats, we're going down. But... At the end of the day, we um, we stick together and hopefully be as optimistic as we can. Well, John and uh, Liam, thanks for for joining us to help sort of 
preview the season and sort of the new iFollow features as well. Uh, no, I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. And I guess yeah, and the links. I mean, the links are available as a, a shameless plug at the end there. If you go onto the onto the website, that the links are there for the iFollow um, early bird pass. We will be putting stuff out on the social media channels um, as you move towards that deadline because we want people to get the best value for this uh, as possible. Um, and then, like you say, we, we'll hope to keep that keep that going forward. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it so much. Cheers, Speak soon. Thank you. Thank you. Now, as promised, our season predictions here on the Owls AmeriCast. Similar categories as last year, about as well organized. Who knows, maybe somebody will jump in in the call in the middle of it like Patty last year to complain about the kits. But we will start with the most important question, the one on all of our minds, and certainly you out there listening. Patty, where will Sheffield Wednesday finish? this year in the table uh my heart says sixth my head says ninth i swear if we just pick like seventh through tenth again this year like we did last year we were very close last year but so ninth interesting you see it sort of a late charge falling short full-on lead style collapse a uh, full-on lead-style collapse when all our players are injured. Uh, Bullen's run out of ideas. Forestier's got a 20-match ban. Uh, Lee's out for six years. So, yeah, that kind of thing happening. If you're keeping score at home, the optimism on the podcast has lasted exactly one hour and five minutes. <laughs> Mike, can you cheer us up a little bit? No. I'm, I'm going to go with 10th. Uh, but I'm going to go with streaking where they have a shot... Then maybe they're in seventh sometime in April, but uh, we're going to finish in tenth. Well, sod all of you. Fifth place. Going with fifth. I look at this league, and I don't know how many squads here are clearly better than Wednesday. Again, that doesn't mean anything. As we as we talked about with John and Liam, the championship is a is a weird beast. You know, Luton Town could be charging up the table late for a promotion push. QPR could be good this year. There's always like one team that almost got relegated that gets in a promotion push. There's almost one, always one team that almost got promoted last year that ends up in the relegation fodder. So it's the beauty of the championship. Like, luckily, Wednesday were neither of those teams, so they might just stick in mid-table. But I am going to go with fifth. All right, three promotion teams, Patty. Uh, I think top Fulham are going to bounce back. They've kept told a lot of their players from last year. Mitrovic up top is going to score a bag full. Um, second place, um, I think it will be God Stoke, maybe. Um, third place, I'm going to say... So up through the playoffs, this is, I assume, right? Not third place in the league. Uh, I'm going to say West Brom. See that a year of consolidation in the championship and get a feel for the league. Still some money to spend. Well-organized squad. I like Billich too. I think he's yeah, a good manager. manager with experience in the uh, getting teams out of the championship. Mike? 
Yeah, I, I fear we're slowly answering your question, Jeff, about who are the who are the five teams that are better than Wednesday. But, yeah. yeah, I'm going to go with uh, West Brom to actually uh, win quite cleanly, followed by Fulham. Uh, and my dark horse, it pains me to say it, I think Forrest is going to come through the playoffs. Ugh. I know. Tell me about it. Uh, I mean, I think Fulham just has too much attacking talent. Uh, a lot of players that know the league, you know, that obviously went up with them last time. Um, also will have, you know, probably more of an opportunity to play sort of more free-form attacking football. Not that really stopped them in the Premier, <laughs> in the Premier League to their detriment in many cases. Um, but I think Fulham will, will comfortably win the league. In second, it's like I never... I don't feel like sort of the yo-yo also ran clubs are speaking to me. So I'm going to go with finally somehow figuring it out and going up automatically Darby County. I don't feel good about it. As soon as, as, soon as I said it, I feel terrible. <laughs> no, 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 but no, no. None of them. I'm like, who am I going to pick? Middlesbrough? It's just, eh, it's Middlesbrough. It's boring. It's a championship. It's got to be a little wild. Um, and to that end, I have Sheffield Wednesday getting promoted at Rem- Wembley over hey. Leeds. For, oh, maximum, oh, wow. for both maximum awesomeness and also maximum terror while the game is going on at the football factory. Lee Bullum, blood and thunder, takes it to Beals' pretty football. And they win one nothing on a 83rd minute penalty. <laughs> Most terrifying and Wednesday Beautiful. way possible. Yeah. Now to the other end of the table, Patty, who are the relegated teams? This is way easier. Uh, Barnsley, Luton, and... Uh, oh, God, I forgot the last one. Where's my... Uh... Championship table gone. Barnsley, Luton, and I said Charlton was going to stay up, so it's not Charlton. Come back to me for the third. <laughs> Patty, well prepared as always. Mike? <laughs> I actually do have Charlton going down. Uh, I also, surprise, I'm going to have two surprises. I have Wigan going down, and I think this is the year the bottom finally falls out for Birmingham. I think it's just uh, the chaos for the last couple of years is going to finally catch up to them. I'm going to keep predicting Millwall every year until they finally get turf, turfed out of this league. So I don't have to watch games against Millwall anymore. Um, I think Barnsley is pretty much becoming the, the definition of a yo-yo championship, League One championship squad. Um, so I see them going down. I, I think Charlton has enough to stay up. I feel like Luton might surprise some people. I think they sort of have a... I think they sort of know what they are. They just bought Jacob Butterfield, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're, they're bottom of the league for me. Uh, fair enough. Uh, uh, my third team was you know Reading, what, though, by that, the way. You know how that Reading works. Reading. Those, those kind of players always go to other teams after Wednesday and find success in this league. Repeat that, Patty. Who is your third? Reading. Um, oh. Yeah, they're going to uh, just slip. I mean, they almost slipped this year, didn't they? 
Uh, and I looked at that, even though they spent 16, well, bought 16 people and let like 10 people go, none of them look that promising, to be fair. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of experience in that team, but I think it might just be too, like, very kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't inspire me whatsoever. I think Reading will go down. Go down. And my, my third relegation team this year will be Blackburn. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I th- I've got them up like top 10 at Blackburn. I think they're a decent side. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just am always incredibly bored by Blackburn. To be fair, my, um, I've got two friends of Blackburn Rovers fans, so I do know yeah. quite a bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> Top goal scorer for Wednesday this year, Patty. Ooh, this is a good one. I want, I want to say Jordan Rhodes. Yeah, I, I really, know, really I want to. do, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine if Bullen stays on his manager. Uh, Jordan Rhodes is top scorer, and we get promoted. That's that's the dream, right, lads? That's what I want to do. That's what will happen. Um, so, fuck it. I've been pessimistic all, all episode. I'm going to go Jordan Rhodes, top scorer for Wednesday. How many goals? Uh, 19. Mike? Yeah, I don't have anyone... Scoring 19 goals for us this year. I'm sorry, but I think there. I think it'll be not in a bad way. I think it'll just be good distribution. So I'm not going to be surprised if there's a tie down there with a bunch of players with uh, eight, nine, or ten goals. But uh, I'll just um, go safe and go Fletcher. Maybe 11 goals. Yeah, Fletcher's the probably the chalk here. Yeah, I do see sort of a more you know something similar to. To last year, though some of that was was health influence, where there's just a a more equal distribution across the the front four or so. Um, yeah, I'll go off the board a little bit here, and I'll say Adam Reach with 13, 11 of which win goal of the day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then the uh, the finals, you know, at Sky Sports or whatever, EFL goal of the year competition is Adam Reach versus Adam Reach versus Adam Reach. Versus Adam Reach. All right, now one for the Schadenfreude fans out there. And it's the last time I promise we'll ever mention his name on the podcast. Date Steve Bruce gets fired from Newcastle United, Patty. The exact date? Yeah. Ah, oh, Jesus. Well, um, closest, closest, you know, it's not, you don't have to. It's definitely going to be before Christmas. Um, I am going to say October 31st, Halloween. <laughs> Mike. Yeah, I think he makes it to spring. Um, so sometime around the, um, let's just say right after, uh, shoot. I'm, I'm trying to wager if he makes it to the uh, FA Cup third round or not. Um yeah, let's say the last day of January. Yeah, I see. So I did a little research for this. I actually looked at, I say a little bit of research. I looked at Newcastle <laughs> United's fixture schedule. All right. This is the thing you researched. I have everything in the podcast. Yeah, that's all I looked at, Newcastle <laughs> United's fixture schedule. Um, but I think none of us have ever, I don't know, it's been a while since I've actually hate watched a team. If I hate a team, I'll just avoid them. But yeah, this is going to be a hate watch. So yeah. they open with Arsenal, Norwich City, Spurs, Watford, Liverpool, Brighton, Leicester. So I guess you're to the end of September. I feel like there's a couple winnable games in there, so they can kind of 
you know, stick around like 15th or something at that point. Then you've got Man U, Chelsea, Wolves, West Ham. I think it starts to take a nosedive there. And then I think it's a bad home loss to Burnmouth on Saturday, November 9th, and he gets sacked that Monday. So November 11th. <laughs> okay. Christ, you really have research. Because then you have, you, have a, you have the international break after that and a game against Villa on the back oh, end. Okay. So you get, yeah, night, you, okay. you this is the most analysis yes. we've ever put into anything. <laughs> yes. Figuring out the exact date Steve Bruce gets fired. But tweet us at Alice Americas in the next few days if you want to toss in your prediction. So now a, uh, a perennial favorite for all of us and for Wednesday nights across the land. How many yellow cards does Sam Hutchinson get in 2019-2020? I would really like a frame of reference for this, Jeff. Do you know how many he got last year? Yeah, that's something I can look up. <laughs> you didn't research that, did you? No, no. I was too busy looking at the Newcastle <laughs> fixture schedule. I think my gut feeling says that Sam Hutchinson didn't get as many yellow cards last year yeah. than play the it's first a, half a of the season, thing. Patty. <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's a legacy thing. Um, I think he may have only got six or seven last Yeah, but again, yeah, he started in January, so... He still played more games than usual. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to go I'm gonna go low. I'm going to say... Oh, six seems too low. <laughs> 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 might have six before Steve Bruce gets fired. <laughs> now that's the over under. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say eight. Eight. So he doesn't even get he doesn't get his usual one match ban around November for yellow card accumulation. No, he's gonna avoid all that. He's gonna be a good boy, and he's definitely not gonna get injured in the first two months. Therefore, my eights. He still almost got like injured it. in preseason on a crunching 50-50 challenge, so you know he's ready to go. Mike, how many yellow cards for Sam Hutchinson? Yeah, let's go 11. That seems good. Uh, I think he will... Hmm. Are you literally looking at last season's stats, aren't you? Trying to see you asked me how many he had last season. I'm gonna see if I can find it. <laughs> he had one, two, he only had five yellow cards last season in twenty seven appearances. That's okay, half a season. Alright. Yeah, that's pretty good, I told you. I, I think my eight is um actually quite a decent shout. He only had three in twenty seven, twenty eighteen. He was basically hurt the entire season. So the more sort of uh traditional hutch season would be twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen where he has 34 appearances, 10 yellow cards, 2 red cards. <laughs> I'd uh, take that. If he was there for the full season, I'd yeah. be well happy with 10 yellows and 2 reds. Yeah, big, fantastic. I think he'll keep up that ratio. He won't play quite as many games. So let's say 9. 9 yellow cards for Sam Hutchinson. Now one a little more free-forming and use your creative juices. Go off the board. Most Wednesday moment of 2019, 2020. What would be the most Wednesday moment? And all that entails, Fatty. Um, I think we are gonna we're gonna hire. No, I think we're gonna keep Lee Bullen. Mm-hmm. 
Steve Bruce is getting sacked on October 31st. And we're going to rehire Steve Bruce oh. <laughs> November 1st. Probably unlikely. <laughs> and he's going to take us uh, into the forest land. That's a Wednesday thing, right? I guess that's. I guess I was lying when I said it was the last time Steve Bruce's name would be mentioned <laughs> on the podcast. You may not have me, Patty. I'm sure you will. Mike, most Wednesday moment of 2019, 2020. Uh, Lee Villon is going to uh, tap someone very popular to replace Hutch Hutchinson after he serves his uh, accumulation ban, and that person's going to knock in two own goals. Seems about right. Thunder silence. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with another one I didn't really prepare for, as well as I should have. Um, it's been all that time looking. You got no. I, I, I got it now. I got it. <laughs> um, FA Cup fourth round. Already ambitious. Away to Newcastle. No, it's two. It's two on the nose. It doesn't really apply to what I'm going to go with. Let's say away to Arsenal. Way to Arsenal. Playing a weakened squad, but are still up one nothing late in the game. Liam Palmer finally scores a worldie for the draw. Then concedes a penalty at the other end in stoppage time and Arsenal win. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that might be, that might be a win. So we all we all go nuts after Liam Palmer finally uh, scores one from like an acute angle just inside the box or something. He finally makes one of those like runs, cuts inside and just absolutely like hammers it home off the crossbar end post or something. Then concedes a penalty at the other end. Arsenal go through. And finally, since they're really too boring to do a full preview for, prediction for Sheffield Wednesday at Reading to kick off the season, Patty. Uh, oh, we're switching gear again. This is weird. Okay, I'm going to go... Um, I think we're going to smash Reading. Uh, I think it's going to be a goal fest, but uh, 4-2 Wednesday. Two late goals from Reading. That's a lot of goals. For, I feel like, I don't know, like, I feel like opening days, well, I guess that's not really true. I feel like opening days are cagey, but more often than not, they're just sloppy. So there's probably goals uh, in those two squads. We've conceded a fair few in preseason, scored a fair few. That's what my basis is on here. Sure. I think we'll, I think we'll come out of the traps looking to prove a point that uh, everyone's written us off, including us, us this episode. Apparently, yes. <laughs> yeah. Two of them, at least. Um, and I think we're going to I think we're gonna start the season really well because we've got a very easy fixture list, so I think we're going to uh, win this convincingly. Mike? Yeah, I'm feeling good, too. And just to bring some optimism back to the, to the podcast, I'm going to go 3-1. Um, convincingly. So, yeah, maybe a late goal from Reading, but, um, yeah, 3-1. I just feel like every game against Reading is a terrible, boring slog. And I don't think this will be any different, but I think Wednesday get like a 36-minute header from Stephen Fletcher, and it just kind of peters out from there, and they win a boring 1-0 game that 
is a win, but keeps hopes manageable, at least for the first couple weeks of the season. Heading into the, I guess, what's even next? The whatever they're calling the milk slash Carabao slash Coca-Cola cup this year. Uh, I think it's Carabao still, isn't it? Is it still Carabao? I don't remember who we're playing. We might not be playing. I think it's Berry, isn't it? And Berry, oh, yeah, it's Barry. supposed to be Berry. It's Berry, yeah. yeah. But they're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, 3-0 forfeit win will be a little more. Might be more exciting than the Reading game. <laughs> there you go. This has been episode 71 of the Owls AmeriCast. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Owls Americas. The Owls AmeriCast all year will be brought to you by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow live match streaming service. Once again, sign up before August 5th. Get the early bird discount price on swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdays forever and in the makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls AmeriCast, we ask you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Mike is on Twitter, at Cascadia Owls. Mike, would you like to revise your prediction of Wednesday not going up this year? Wednesday is going to win the league this year. There you go. Yes. It's more like it. HMS Pistol Pistol League is back on. That's right. Patty is on Twitter at New York Owls and at Patty A. Jones. Patty, where are the meetups for our inaugural match with Reading? Um, We have just one meetup this week. It's in New York. Uh, We were back at the Football Factory, uh, back with Jack. Um, New Orleans. Championship Corner. Championship Corner is back. I cannot wait. Uh, It's just a shame it's against Reading. New Orleans Owls are actually in England right now and will be at the Reading game along with our Manhattan Owl, Manhattan Owl, uh, James. Um, so if you see either of those guys waving the Owls America's flag, please do buy them a drink. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll have some more meetups the week after, but uh, we'll see how we go. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We'll be back all season, but definitely next week with more podcasts.